So I want to thank you, James, uh, for talking to us today uh, about your illustration. And uh, your latest book, Mrs Noah's Pockets, we're going to talk about that in a moment. But I just want to step back uh, a little bit. I think one of the things that uh, struck me when I first saw Mrs Noah's Pockets was how different I thought it was to your other work. That sent me back to have a look again and I realised actually there's a great diversity in your work that I hadn't appreciated before. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit, if we could go back to perhaps one of your really well-known series, the Katie books. Can you tell us about uh, how those books were created and the sorts of materials that you use and how you went, went about creating the pictures to go with that text? Well, we are going back a, a very long way. In fact, I signed a contract for the first one 30 years ago this month. So they're very old books and it's, it's, it's going back into the dim distant past. But at the time, I remember that... Well, I, I wrote the story when I was still a student at art school and I wasn't really confident of how to work or what tools to use so I was I was uh, experimenting and trying to find a way that would I felt suit it because the stories are about Katie in the real world stepping into this other world of paint then I felt that the real world had to be fairly ordinary and I kept the colours fairly muted and kind of sepia so I'd always liked using pen and ink and watercolour wash and that seemed the way forward with those books but I needed to use something else because the scenes were Katie's inside the paintings you need something more more painterly so I couldn't use oil paint because oil paint takes too long to dry it's not very practical so I started experimenting using things like emulsion paint the sort of paint you put on the walls of your house which is a lovely surface, it dries matte so you can actually draw and paint on top of it which with acrylic, which is more plasticky, you can't so I had to experiment and find the materials that suited that there's an element experiment there um and and uh, yeah that that's how i how i did the katie books Mm. one of the things that it sent me back to look at more closely was that thing called the line (laughs) (laughs) and that's very different actually between the katie books and the ella bella one's much more scratchy and katie seemed to be um, I don't know how you would describe it, but almost jaggedy, almost impressionistic. Yes, the... yes, there's, there's, there's a certain freedom to the line there. One of the things I realised early on was if I drew with black line, then that obviously leaves a very definite mark on the, on the paper and it's a very uh, scary thing. When you're feeling a little bit intimidated as an illustrator, you're sitting there thinking, I have to do this final illustration and I'm going to make this black line on the paper and it's going to be very obvious. Uh, that's, that's enough to make you not want to work. It's enough mm. to stop you in your tracks. So I developed my own inks. I used to create inks um, out of paints and mixing different colours together. And I found that sepia ink looked more sensitive and friendly on the page. I also dilute, diluted it a lot. So sometimes I would start drawing with very, very pale ink and then do some paint and then build up the, the line more and more strongly in different layers of, of drawing. So when you look at a picture in a Katie book, there's often several layers of drawing and several layers of painting there. It's not just a drawing that's been coloured in. Sticking with Katie for a moment, was the first book Katie and the Impressionists? No, the first one was Katie's Picture Show. Katie's Picture Show. Yes. Uh, so that was um, that's a mix of artists, isn't it? It is, yes. Yeah. So I, I was wondering whether the artists that you were choosing to depict dictated the style and then whether that created any challenges when you came on to other artists later in the series. 
Yes, absolutely. I mean, some artists are much easier to, to imitate and replicate than others. Um, I never expected to be a series. The first book was a mixture of artists because I thought it was just going to be a single standalone book. Yeah. I never dreamed there would be a series of books. And as the subsequent books came along and the, and the artists were suggested either by me or by the publisher, then, then I had to find new ways of working, ways that would allow me to capture the effect of those paintings. And it was difficult. Turner was very difficult because his paintings are so insubstantial. Mm. They're all about atmosphere and, and weather. I mean, extraordinary artist really to specialise in painting weather in that way. Mm. And you can look at a painting and be familiar with a painting and love a painting and, and recognise it, uh, but actually trying to recreate it when it's that transient, mm. that um, gossamer-like, mm. it's actually very difficult. Van Gogh was hard as well because although they're, they're much meatier paintings in a way, um, they show such energy and spontaneity in the mark making. So when you're trying to recreate something like the Starry Night, obviously you want it to look accurate, you want it to look like his Starry Night, you want the same colours and stars to be in the same positions. But that very process, therefore, is an inhibiting one because you're painting carefully and cautiously, which is the very opposite of the way he painted the original, which was with vigour and abandon and energy. Mm -hmm. So trying to create the, the, the illusion of energy, but at the same time being careful, it's mm. very difficult. Mm. Coming on to another series, uh, I know you've published many books apart from the series that we're talking about today, but if we could just move to the Ella Bella series, which yes. are inspired by stories from the ballet. Now, the style there, if I can call it a style, is that okay yes. to call it a style? Yes, yes, that's, that's <laughs> fine with me. Okay, um, very different to the Katie story, still recognisably <clears throat> James Mayhew. Um, tell us a bit about how those mm. illustrations were created. Well, it's interesting that you say it's very recognisable as me because I, you know, I worry about that. I worry oh, that, right. that it doesn't look the same. And, you know, one of the things I've realised, um, particularly with my work as a, as a tutor with students at Cambridge School of Art is how much all artists, all illustrators seem to worry about this matter of, of, of style or visual identity and I think there's a big pressure particularly from publishers to be a brandable artist, they like you to be a brand mm -hmm. um, and I always fight against that because I'm not a box of cornflakes, you know, I'm an individual person and my work has changed and developed over the years and I, and I like that element of experimenting. Some illustrators come up with a style which serves them all their working life and their work um, is, is very consistent in that way. And I know mine isn't because I've allowed myself to grow and expand and experiment and, and take on many, many different projects. And Ella Bella is a very different project to Katie. In some ways, the illusion of the magic of the story is similar in the sense that the ballet stories come alive in the same way that paintings come alive for Katie. But I wanted the books to look very different to Katie. And I had this vision in my head of, of, of books that I grew up with, books that were, that were probably produced in the 50s, that had um, probably lithographic images printed in different layers of colour, which create a particular clarity and cleanliness to the images. So that was, that was the starting point. Now, I didn't produce illustrations lithographically. I don't have the technology at, at home to do that. But I tried to imitate that by creating art in three layers, so there's a colour layer, a layer of, of grey tone to give shadow and depth, and there's a line drawing that sits on top. And these are all created on separate surfaces, and then I send all three to the publisher who scan them in and, and print them all together as one image. 
and it's quite a complicated process I have to work at a, a big light table it's actually an old window I took out of a skip with an angle poise underneath it and I draw on there so I can register the different layers I can make sure they actually match and line up and what I've tried to do with those books is is discover a way of working or find a way of working that just feels like it has a sort of element of, of, a, of a classic book illustration which, which also gives me the freedom to be experimental and, and playful I think the illustrations in Ella Bella are more playful, mm-hmm. they've got a little bit more humour in, in them I think uh, and I think that's because the line drawing is a separate thing so I can create the colour, I can create the tone depth layer and the line drawing is the last part of the process whereas with Katie it's the first part so this line drawing with Ella Bella comes on top and I need much less line drawing mm. because I've got everything else, the colour and everything else mm. already done. And because of that, I can be very free and playful. Mm. And if it goes wrong, I've only lost one layer. I haven't lost the whole illustration. I don't work digitally, so I can't recreate things if they do go wrong. So having this ability to be able to just draw the top layer as many times as I need to is, is for me, very invigorating, very very refreshing, very different mm. way of working. And I think it gives the work a different kind of energy. Yeah. And that was one of the things that struck me was how fluid it was by yes. comparison and thin. So yes. did you use a different implement? or? I, I use many, many different nibs. I'm mm. quite particular about nibs. Mm. I mean, I'm not knowledgeable. I don't know the names of the nibs that I prefer. I buy lots of antique nibs on mm. eBay and experiment with them and find out which ones work best with which ink on which surface. It's all playing and experimenting. Mm. And every time I think I've cracked it, I found the perfect nib, and I panic and think, well, what if I can't ever find a replacement when this nib breaks? Because they do break, they do snap. So, um, so it's, 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 a, it's an onward learning journey always. Mm-hmm. They're very elegant as well, like the 1950s. I mean, it, it just screams 1950s that year. I wanted something that looked a bit... I know it's very overused now, but I wanted something vaguely vintage retro, kind of, I suppose. But I wanted something playful. I wanted, I wanted illustrations that danced. I wanted mm. drawings that danced. Mm-hmm. And I felt the way I did the Katie books didn't. And I felt Ella Bella needed, needed something very different. Mm. So can we come on to your latest book, um, which has just been published, which is yes. Mrs Noah's Pockets. That's right. It's a collaboration with Jackie Morris, and yes. I know you've worked with her before. Yes. So how did this collaboration come about this time? Well, we met many years ago. We collaborated first by sharing an exhibition space, and we just hit it off and got on like a house on fire. And Jackie's been a great friend over the years. She's always at the end of the phone if I've got something to, to talk about or I'm worried or I'm not sure about an illustration or a story. And vice versa, I've always tried to support her, and she often sends me fledgling manuscripts and says, what do you think, what do you think? And I always say, it's fantastic, Jackie, go for it. So we've always had that as a foundation. And then at, at one point in her career, she was doing some beautiful greetings cards. She still does them every year for a, a music charity. And, and I said, these should be in a book. You should, you should be able to illustrate this sort of thing in books. And she said, well, I, you know, how would that work? I don't, you know, I don't have a story or an idea. So I wrote a story called Can You See a Little Bear, which was a very sparse text, deliberately with lots of gaps in it so that Jackie would have space to fill those gaps with her illustrations, which she did magnificently. I mean, I think it's one of my favourite books that I've ever worked on, even though I had a tiny part in it. But um, she always said at the time she would repay the favour and write a story for me, and and she didn't. I wrote another story for her, um, Starlight Sailor, but eventually she did get round to writing Mrs Noah's Pockets. 
and I loved it. I thought the words were just wonderful. I think it's one of the best things she's ever written. It's it's just perfect. It's very sparse. It's very um, economical. It's also a little bit subversive in terms of the way it takes the well-known characters from the Noah's Ark story and, and, and twists them a little bit. It's very clever, and it has a sense of freedom about it, which I love, freedom of expression and magic and enchantment. So I, I really wanted to do it justice, and I knew that the way I worked for Katie and Ella Bella wasn't going to be right for it. One of the problems when you're working on a series, particularly something as, as long-running as Katie, is you're always looking backwards. You're always looking back to that first book and trying to keep everything consistent. Now, I've learned a lot in the 30 years since I first started work on Katie, and I felt I couldn't really use those skills in Katie stories or with Ella Bella, because the books had to be a series they had to match. So this was an opportunity to do something different. And in the first instance, I just kind of panicked, and I thought, well... I don't know if I dare do anything different. And then I just wasn't sure what, what I would do. I just didn't, I, I couldn't see how I could illustrate it. I knew I wanted to, I knew I loved the words, but I couldn't see the way forward. And I went through a, a bit of a personal crisis at the time as well. Um, my marriage ended and it was a very difficult time. And uh, out of that, I think, came a new me, a different kind of me, somebody who wanted to find a different identity. So I was just playing around with some printmaking I love printmaking. I don't do very much of it, but I love it. I love liner cut particularly. And I'd done some liner cuts. And I did toy with the idea of doing the whole book in liner, but I knew it would be very ambitious and I didn't feel confident to do that. But I did liner cut textures and patterns. And I started cutting them up and laying them on a table and just seeing what happened. And suddenly there was a sea. And then I had some other paper I'd just painted with some gouache or paint of some kind. And I started ripping it up, and there I had a sky. And it was really exciting. And I hadn't felt that excited about creating an image for years. For years. Because the Katie, and actually, to some extent, Ella Bella, they'd been quite prescriptive in the sense the publishers had said, well, we want, to, want Katie to visit these artists and these paintings. <clears throat> Suddenly I was doing something much freer, much more expressive, much more based on my emotional reaction to the words. And... What I particularly enjoyed was the fact that I wasn't beginning with a line drawing and colouring it in. Instead, I was thinking absolutely about shape and the whole balance of the composition. It was a wonderful moment, and faces and figures were hard to introduce into that. I found landscapes very easy, but people more difficult. But gradually, over time, as I refined the, this new technique that I was now exploring, I became more and more confident, and, and then I had to send something to the publisher. I was a little scared. Would they like it? Would they not? But fortunately, they did. It's interesting. When the book was first introduced to me um, a couple of months ago, um, Nikki Potter, who you know, I was very excited. Another collaboration between James and Jackie. And my first reaction was, oh, that's different for Jackie. <laughs> and she said, no, it's James. And I said, James, are you sure? And I had a look inside and actually, I'm going to say that you can still tell that it's yours and actually what does give it away is the figures yeah that's really interesting isn't it there's, there's something about the way I do figures and faces uh, and a couple of other people have said they can see a, a glimpse of, of of the other James in this in mm. this new work um, which is nice in a way that's kind of reassuring I suppose that it, it has that uh, integrity to mm. it 
but uh, I, I'm also very excited about the future mm-hmm. and, and where this this new foundation of this new expressive way of working can go because I'm, I'm very excited about the possibilities and I really, really want to do more like that. Brilliant. I think you may have answered this question, actually, but I'm going to ask it anyway, and that is, given the diversity of your work and how it's changed over time, what do you think is the essential James Mayhew then? I think that's something that's much easier for an observer to see than Mm. for the artist. The Mm. artist gets so close to their work, Mm. you know, you really can't see the wood for the trees, whether it's within an individual project. I mean, Mm. every book I go through a phase where I get stuck, I think, oh, I don't know what I'm doing with this book. Mm. And within the whole, you know, catalogue of work that's being produced, Mm. um, there is something about faces, I think, Mm. and and I I lean towards certain colours, I know that. But... I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? I thought you were going to say experiment, experiment, experiment. experiment. <laughs> well, now, yes. But you see, for many, many years, I didn't. For many years, mm-hmm. I just did the Katie's. And there was a tiny bit of experimenting in terms of recreating those famous paintings. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I, I have to be honest, towards the end of the series, uh, or the, the end of where it's at at the moment, I, I had become very disillusioned with Katie. I felt very tied by that. Because one of the problems you see with the Katie books, for me as a creative person, is that an awful lot of the stories, a lot of the illustrations in those stories, is pastiche. Mm. I'm trying to be another artist. I'm not being me. So I reached a point where I had to stop and think, who am I? As, as an artist in my own right, at whatever level that might be, who am I? Mm-hmm. How do I draw when I'm not trying to be Van Gogh or Leonardo da Vinci or Monet mm. or, or Turner or any of the other great artists? Mm. Who am I? Mm. How do I draw? And I didn't have an answer to that. Mm. And Ella Bella gave me some kind of answer because that was just much more me. And there was a, a playfulness there, I think, which is hard to do in the, in the Katie books because although she's Katie's quite irreverent climbing in these paintings, I've always tried to be very respectful mm. to the world of art that she inhabits. I've always tried to, to um, be as, as fair as I can to those great artists who I do admire and, and, and love very much. But that doesn't leave any room for me to express myself mm. at all. And that's why Mrs. Noah is so lovely, because it's, it's a very free reaction to words, and it's very much me expressing myself. Mm-hmm. It's clear that in the past uh, you've taken inspiration from art and from music, mm-hmm. and you, you've taught here as a visiting lecturer as well, so you've yes. worked with students. <clears throat> yes. The students ever inspire you or always. working with students always I always come away from a day of tutoring thinking that I have got more out of it than the, than the students to be honest because they're in a, in a particular position of course they haven't got the same commercial considerations they haven't got to fulfill a particular brief with a publisher or please an author or jump through any of the hoops that an author has to with a, with a mainstream publisher they're setting their own topics their own projects and they're sometimes very personal and it's wonderful to see that. It's very inspiring, very invigorating. But it's not only the subject matter that's interesting, it's also the fact that they are experimenting so much. No two students work the same way. A lot of students work digitally now, and, and they do some remarkable things, and I find that inspiring, although I'm not confident digitally myself. What you've described there is something, as you know, a lot of our listeners will be teachers and student yes. teachers. 
And although you're working with adults here, I think what you've described is the perfect symbiotic relationship between teacher and student. I believe it should be like that in school as well. well even when I visit <laughs> schools, because I do a lot of art workshops in schools, sometimes I'm just, just a visiting author and I give a talk. But if I go in and do workshops and do something with a practical element with children, even if I only meet those children once in a day, you, t- you still come away inspired. You do still learn from the children. You see the way that they interpret something with, with a freedom and an abandonment that as an adult is very difficult to achieve and that is wonderfully inspiring. And I do a lot of um, art workshops linked to the music projects that I do and seeing how children respond to music and the way they interpret music. And also the different education approaches in different schools. You, know, you can go into a really, really good school with um, fantastic provision for the students and find that they're actually often not very creative and sometimes you can go into a, a difficult school with quite disadvantaged kids and, uh, and you let them loose with some paints and they do something that happens to be incredible. Mm. So that's wonderful as well because it breaks down lots of preconceptions about what might be considered a, a, a good school environment. Mm. Uh, it's interesting, you talked earlier about using emulsion paints, yes. everyday materials, <coughs> and there are yes. things that stand out in my mind having talked to other illustrators about how suddenly happening on something quite everyday and using that in their artwork. So Petr Horacek talked about pizza bases. Mm. He'd run out of uh, the material that he usually used, mm. so he just used the polystyrene mm. pizza base for his print. Katie Clemenson, I don't rem- know if you remember her, I haven't seen any work from her for a while, but she was out on a field trip and had forgotten her brushes and she had a drink with her with a plastic straw. So she started drawing with a plastic straw and that became her trademark Fabulous. line. Yeah. And I just think, you know, learning to play and experiment with material in school rather than thinking it's about having the most expensive materials available. One of my biggest problems with visiting schools, I visit a lot of schools, and one of the things I I try to do very much is encourage schools, firstly, to look at their, their general art provision and be prepared to make some kind of investment. And I think that's really, really, really crucial. I know the arts are beleaguered in education all the more reason to fight it. But the other thing I think that's really important is to look beyond the obvious art provision materials that you might think of having for children. And I've been into a school recently where we did a brilliant art project based on Impressionism, and we got all the children to find bits of cardboard and to use that as a surface to paint on. It's actually a really nice surface to paint on if you're using emulsion paint. And we asked parents to donate unwanted tins of emulsion paint. And it's fabulous paint to use because it does quite quickly and easily replicate the kind of effects that you might get with oil paint. And you can do wonderful projects with the children explaining how um, impressionists, artists, how they, how they built up layers of paint very quickly with sort of blobs and daubs. It's a really cheap, easy way of getting children doing some fantastic painting. We can use it on a big scale as well. Sometimes I've brought in rolls of paper and we've done a huge collaborative painting. I've done murals in schools with it. Mm. Is there anything else that you would like to say to the teachers that uh, listen to in the reading corner about how they can build an exciting art provision in their school, particularly if they're not an art specialist? Um, Well, I think one of the things that I would say is that I don't see enough illustration going on in schools. And I think illustration as a subject area is so useful for children. And it's useful on many levels. It's so cross-curricular. If you use a folktale as a starting point, for example, then they're hearing some storytelling. It's probably from a particular culture. Um, so that brings in geography, it brings in history. Um, it obviously brings in literacy. And by getting the children to do a, an illustration, it gives them a sense of ownership over 
obviously their own artwork, but therefore the story as well, and it's a great spur to their creative writing because they have an illustration as a starting point. And one of the key things I've started doing when I visit schools is getting them to use biros or um, waterproof fine-tipped fiber-tipped pens, any kind of permanent fine pen. What's key is that the kids can't rub it out, and that kind of freaks them out to begin with, but I think it's a great discipline. You know, if you give children a piece of paper and a pencil and there's a rubber in the building, they will find it. And uh, they will spend forever drawing the same bit over and over and over and trying to perfect it. If you give them a pen and they can't rub it out, it levels the playing field for the whole class and it creates a whole different psychology in each individual artist. They know they can't rub it out. They know, therefore, that making that image is an act of courage. And you tell them to be brave. You tell them to take a risk. And the results are, are, are wonderful. The other key thing, a practical point, is that if you're drawing something like ink and then you put colour on, you can still see the drawing. Now, if a child has spent ages doing a careful drawing, say in pencil, and you put colour on it, you can't really see the drawing anymore. That's such a shame, because you lose that whole skeleton of the image. So by using an ink pen of some kind, you can still see that when the colour goes on. Mm -hmm. And you can see all the work, all all the thought, all the intricacy of their drawing skills. And that's a beautiful thing to preserve. James, thank you so much for talking to us today and for giving us so many wonderful picture books to enjoy as well. Thank you very much for having me.